Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Dynasty Bulls Seems weird they moved back. Uh, 
Any any thoughts on all the relocation biz that went down the last couple of days? Um, no, I mean, I think we all expected the Rams to be moving out of St. Louis. They seem to be the most likely of the three teams to move, so that ended up happening. Not really a shocker there. So as it stands, it's going to be the Rams, and the Chargers have a year to decide if they want to come there, and they ultimately can decide in the next couple of months if they want to play their next season, although neither team will have a stadium. Rams and Chargers do have very similar uniform colors, so maybe that makes sense. Um, uh, if the Chargers do decline and not move, Oakland could be uh, Oakland could seize that opportunity. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, hopefully, over in Oakland. I guess that's what I want. But uh, um, we got some wild card thoughts here for you. But I had a little extra time in my hands yesterday, so let's let's get riled up first here. The German is the snapper. Oh, baby, yeah. It's time to pray to the heavens, Michael. You're right. Finkel is Ihorn. No good. Not even close. Let's look at these laces one more time. Jeff Locke, the holder, is going to try and put it down. And bingo, looking right back at the kicker. And I'm telling you, psychologically, sometimes that can get a kicker. Empty backfield for third and eight. Hoyer lets his fire. That ball's intercepted. Is that Barry? Changer, of course, there when Rogers made made do of the uh, twelve men on the uh, twelve men on the ice, twelve men on the field. Um, been to too many hockey games lately, but anyway, I guess the real question, Nick, is how would you rather lose by a chip shot, field goal, miss? Um, we'll try not to ask Dan about that. Maybe you want to if you want to, uh, but uh, or the way the Bengals just imploded. What do you think? How would you rather lose? Um. Well, take away all the personal fouls type of things with the Bengals. I would rather I would rather just lose than lose by missing a twenty seven yard field goal. That's that's as close to a <laughs> gimme as it gets in sports and yeah, that's gotta be just painful. Uh, that reminds me every time I'm setting up a league I always think that kickers should get penalized for missing a field goal inside thirty yards, like you should lose a point or something like that. So maybe if we have a start up next year, Nick, we can take care of that. But uh any other thoughts here on the uh, wild, wild card weekend? Uh, well, did you just want to go game by game or throw them all together? Sure, sure. Well, yeah, why don't, we just, why don't we just go Saturday there? Yeah, start with Saturday. 
Well, start with the Kansas City-Houston game. It seemed to me like Kansas City didn't really win. It was the Houston just lost this game. All the Chiefs had to do was just wait for the, the Texans to make mistakes. Uh, Travis Kelsey did have a big game. Eight catches for 128 yards on 10 targets, but no other player for the Chiefs had more than three catches. And, yeah, with Brian Hoyer at the helm, the Texans really didn't have a chance in that game. Yeah. Um I think you're going to get to most of what I want to say in your rant. But, uh, yeah, not uh, not at all what I expected. I just expected a little more uh, little more fight. I can't imagine anything more embarrassing than losing a playoff game in front of your home crowd. Uh, oh, and being shut out, yeah. Being shut out, losing a playoff game in front of your home crowd, that's got to be absolutely devastating as a player and as a fan. Um uh, so what about the the debacle in the jungle, the Bengal jungle? Well, you know, it's too bad that what was a great game is going to be overshadowed by the late hits, the fans throwing water bottles, personal fouls, and assistant coaches acting questionably. But uh, Big Ben, 18 for 31 for 229 yards, 119 of those yards to Antonio Brown. But both those guys got injured in the game. Hopefully they're going to be able to play this weekend. Uh, ben, you know, wouldn't may not have had a chance for the game-winning drive had linebacker Ryan Shazier not stripped the ball from Jeremy Hill deep in Pittsburgh territory. That was Shazier's second forced fumble to go along with the team-leading 13 tackles. Uh, the Bengals, now they're one and done in five straight seasons in the playoffs. Well, it seems like Pittsburgh has overcome one obstacle after another. Martavius Bryant suspension earlier in the year, Le'Veon Bell and D'Angelo Williams injuries, Ben Roethlisberger being in and out of the lineup, but it seems like Pittsburgh is probably one of the more unlikely teams to make the second round of the playoffs, don't you think? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, they keep winning. I mean, obviously you think something's going to have to give eventually, but they just keep winning. I don't know how you can really argue with that. Um, I'll be totally surprised if Antonio Brown doesn't play. I mean, I know they're they, – they're going back and forth on this, and I, I just—I'll be really surprised if it actually comes to that. Um, why was there not more made of the Martavius Bryant catch, the flip catch? I mean, to me, I love the guy, and it was a phenomenal play. But to me, it looks like he is securing that ball as he's flying out of bounds. I just don't get how that—that uh, is a catch. But of course, as this NFL season has taught us. We have no idea what a catch was before, and I don't think we have a better idea what it is now. But uh, I was just—I was surprised watching the slow motion replay of that second. Really, they're going to call that a catch? I mean, great, great for him. What an awesome play! But I, I don't think that's a catch. Um, uh, what about the uh, the cold, cold uh, morning affair there in uh, Minnesota, Nick? Well, neither quarterback was over 150 yards. There was no running backs over 70 yards and no receivers of 50 yards. So, to me, the biggest highlight was the 88-year-old former Vikings head coach, Bud Grant, going out for the coin toss in a polo shirt and below zero temperatures. i got to say, Bud Grant is more of a man than I. I go running for my hoodie anytime the mercury drops below 70. Uh, Seattle just <laughs> continues to find ways to win in January. They're down nine to nothing entering the fourth quarter, and then Russell Wilson found the touchdown machine, Doug Baldwin, for a score. And then after an Adrian Peterson fumbled on the next drive, Stephen Hauschka hit the game-winning field goal. Of course, that could have been all for naught if Blair Walsh had made the 27-yard field goal at the end of the game. I don't know what it is about Vikings kickers in the postseason, but maybe fans will now direct their anger at Walsh instead of at Gary Anderson, who in 1998, of course, missed the 38-yarder that would have gotten the team to the Super Bowl. And, you know, of course, apparently uh, Minnesota's holder never saw Ace Ventura. Lace is out, damn. 
Oh, uh, did you catch my Ace Ventura on that clip? Finkel is oh, yeah, Einhorn. Yeah. Einhorn is Finkel. Um, <laughs> you know, and to say this, uh, maybe a little bit about Blair Walsh, but maybe more so about the 98 and Gary Anderson, the guy didn't miss a kick for two years. So you're probably not at that point if he doesn't do that. I mean, yeah, he missed a kick at a key moment of a game, but you're probably not in this situation if he doesn't make all those kicks on a road. I mean, agreed, Nick? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, rough way to lose. It was just so weird. Like, I remember, you know, end of the third quarter of that game, it's 9 nothing Minnesota, and I just thought, oh, my God, how have they kept Seattle out of the end zone? And just, like, two minutes later, it was 10-9. to It was just like that quick and uh yeah that's what that's what seattle does that's what playoff experience does and that's uh that's unfortunate how it happened minnesota certainly had a chance to win you know i i would like to preface the uh the laces in laces out you know whatever if you see there was a field goal kick earlier in the game that walsh made that richard richard uh excuse me yeah richard sherman basically got a middle finger on it still was good but you knew that some they had something was crashing that uh, that that set up there. You know we've obviously seen Cam Chancellor in the past jump over piles. Uh, Sherman was coming from the edge there and just got a piece of that one. It still was good. I mean, he says he didn't touch it, so maybe he didn't. But I mean, it's it's it was so close, and you knew you knew Walsh had to be thinking about that too. And when it's 27 yards like that, you probably just want to get up there and get it done, not overthink about it. You, you know, overthink it, just get up there and get it done. And ultimately, it was not not good. I hope Dan's not on the line listening to us. Okay, not yet. Um, do you are you ready to talk candidly about uh, Green Bay and Washington? Oh, why not? I guess, you know, for one week anyway, the Green Bay offense was able to flip the switch, so to speak. Devontae Adams actually caught all four of his targets. That's a big step for him as far as possibly gaining the trust of Aaron Rodgers, as many drops as he had all year. You know, as a skin fan to me, this game kind of boiled down to two things. First off, the general rule for when you're facing a high-powered offensive team like Green Bay is you run the ball, you slow the game down, and you keep that offense off the field, Right. But head coach Jay Gruden, in his infinite wisdom, decided to go the other way, opting to have Kirk Cousins drop back over 50 times while only giving the ball to Alfred Morris 11 times, despite Morris averaging 4.5 yards per carry, and Chris Thompson's lone rush went for 25 yards. And it's not like Washington got blown out all game either. The team was only down six points heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, the other thing that bothered me was seeing Kirk Cousins take sacks on fourth down. To me, that's the worst play a quarterback can make. At least keep it up there on a prayer and hope that one of your highly paid receivers or your stud tight end Jordan Reed can make a play. Okay, one more thing. The disgusting lack of effort to get into the end zone displayed by Deshaun Jackson in the first quarter. But, no. hey, it's D-Jax. I mean, you know you're going to see that from time to time. Uh, I, will, I will not shed a tear if the team decides to part ways with him this offseason. You know, I watched that replay, I think, 11 times, not quite a dozen times. Thinking, I wanted to defend him. I wanted to defend him and say, you can't know where he was. I mean, He's hitting the pylon. I just could not find, figure out what the hell he was doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, on, on that note, I just happened to catch the uh, the Deshaun Jackson punt return from the, from the Dallas Monday Night game. I watched that on on what the football and on YouTube this morning. That was, that was some pretty good clips. Uh, uh, yeah, wanted to just 
you know, like I said, that 12 man on the field touchdown, I think that's just, they, they just needed something. Green Bay just needed something. And, uh, that's what that's what it was, and that just flipped the trigger, and that was just not, uh, yeah, not not pretty from there, unfortunately. So, Bob, we got Mr. Burgundy on the line. One second here. Dan, are you there? I'm here, guys. How's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Good, good. It was an early, early morning for me, so I'm actually already done. With work here, well, at least with subway stuff. So, uh, very cool. Yeah. So how? Well, we, yeah, I was all for four this weekend. <laughs> on my pick, pick my predictions. Yeah, all ah, for four. Ah. Should have been at least two for two, but you know that shouldn't be many games. But you know, what are you gonna do? Heartache in Minnesota once again. Yes, and um, I guess, you know, not necessarily covering, but I, now that I think about it, all the road teams won, which was yep. odd because all the road teams were favored. I guess it doesn't seem that odd uh, for Vegas, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I just, I just, I now just not thought about that. So that's probably something that doesn't well, happen very often, especially with home field advantage here in the playoffs, but. Well, and that Green Bay game was disappointing more than it, the other ones. Even you know, I mean, Nick nailed it on the on the head there. It was the the game calling was just ridiculous. I mean, they were they were winning for the first half of that game, you know, and so the lack of the lack of balance on offense is just unexcusable, you know. And I think I don't know if they were reading their own press the last two weeks or not, but. You know, Kirk Cousins is looking good and he's on a roll, but he's not a 50-pass quarterback. You know, there's only a couple of those in the league that can do it consistently and win, and he's not one of them. So, yeah, yeah, very, very unfortunate for both you, both you guys. But hey, you know, your team's made the playoffs, so that's that's nice. Nice, you can say that. You, at least you guys can say that over me. Um, but anyway, we asked. Uh, we asked Dan to stop by for uh, to give us some uh, dynasty do's and don'ts for uh, the off season, as we've already seen some dynasty trades happen. I've seen some people are already uh, already doing a little mock draft action too. So we need, I guess, we need to get Bruce on that for us again, huh? Uh, but uh, what? So what? What just? What do, you, what do you got for us? You know, maybe just a few things, and I'm sure Manic will have a few questions here for you too. Sure. Well, I'll start with a couple do's. And then I'll finish with a don't. Do take a break, first and foremost. Um, that's an important aspect of Dynasty, in my o- opinion. Um, you know, now is a great time to sit back, enjoy the playoffs. Um, if you don't want to take a break, great. But sometimes Dynasty, especially in the world of Dynasty Football Warehouse and DFW and all the maniacal dynasty owners that we have running around these halls, um, you know, with 20 leagues and things like that, you know, it can, you know, it can be a lifestyle, uh, not a hobby. So, you know, if if that's the way you want to go, great. Otherwise, it's always a good time right now to uh, remember that it is a hobby. And if you're going to take your foot off the gas a little bit, 
you know, the month of uh the month of January is a great time to do it. Um that's not to say that there isn't stuff that you can be doing. Um, but uh, it is important to, you know, uh, sit back and enjoy the NFL and, and watch a game without a player interest or uh, watch it without an analytical eye and just enjoy the entertainment and the playoffs and, and, and down the stretch action here as as we come. Uh, miss 27-yard field goals aside, it is actually pretty enjoyable. Uh, but, uh, you know, the other thing is um, do – start projecting current players in the NFL. And I didn't really describe that well. So what I mean by that is so much of our emphasis at this time of the year shifts over to rookies. And this plays into one of my don'ts. And one of my don'ts is don't get too hung up going buck wild rookie crazy at this time. Okay. It is important to start the process, and it is important if you're not already plugged into the college game, like so many of you guys are already, to not over, you know, don't jump the gun and uh, on these rookies. Um, it's really important to look at what transpired over the last year. What what players surprised you? What players? underperformed, didn't surprise you. It's important to go through kind of a postseason analysis and ask yourself, why? Why did they underperform? Why did they surprise you? What happened that you didn't, you know, you didn't pick up on, you know, this guy uh, while others did? And that is ultimately the best learning opportunity we have going into the next season is where did I screw up and where did I get it right? And 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 then taking it a step further and figuring out is this a mirage or is this a tr- you know or is this legit um, you know uh, you see and and noticing no late season trends is another one that you want to kind of jump on as well um, the last four or five games of the season who was peaking a lot of times we have rookies come on late like Devonte Parker right. There's a lot of changes in Miami. I mean, you could probably spend a week just kind of analyzing Miami and if Lamar Miller is going to be back and what the new coach is going to do to the passing game and, you know, all these different variables. So it's fun, and there's a lot of information to process, and that's why I say rookies can be second at this stage. You want to make sure that you're analyzing the season while it's fresh in your mind and figuring out who is legit and who isn't in your mind. Because those are going to be your buy lows and sell highs. These are going to be your guys, not not other people's guys, your guys to either get rid of because you think it's fluky, because you think they came on, and because of an injury they emerged, well, that guy's going to be back next year, and they might even draft somebody. So here's a guy that we need to try to shop a little bit because others – might not be looking that deeply into it, and they're only going to see the guy's production for the last eight or ten weeks, and you can get some really nice pieces for him. On the other side, where are the opportunities to land a player that underperformed? Where are the opportunities to land, um, you know, those those people who, for whatever reason, whether it was injury, doesn't seem to matter in Dynasty World. You know, injuries tend to make us write off people. 
Um, you know, Kevin White is a perfect example. Uh, you can get that. You could have got that guy pretty dang cheap a couple weeks ago. You know, the second the off season starts, you know, people get their hopes up again, so it gets a little more challenging. You know, but there's a guy that would have cost you a second round, you know, a second startup round pick early in the season, and it's only due to injury that he didn't perform. Um, and so things like that, basically looking back and and figuring out, um, you know what guys you want to target and why, and what guys you want to sell and why. And make some nice early tweaks to your lineup. There's a lot of variables that can happen between now and then. But that this is the time to do it. That and enjoy the NFL season. In a little bit, near the end, after the Super Bowl is kind of when I get all crazy about rookies and start forming my own opinions. I like to make sure that I have a good talent base um, evaluation before we even get close to the combine. Uh, I think the combine is one of the worst things. It, it, it can be very helpful and very sexy, but at the same time, it can be very distracting. And every year it gets me, um, you know, where I have my baseline opinion of a guy and it comes, you know, we get to the combine and something stupid happens by a split second here or there. And all of a sudden, groupthink gets me off him, and and uh, you know, and I regret it dramatically. Um, you know, David Johnson was a, a prime candidate this year. He was my number three overall running back, but due to groupthink, I actually dropped him to number three. He was my number two behind only Todd Gurley. But for some reason, peer pressure got to me, and I couldn't, in good you know, conscious put. Melvin Gordon behind him, and now I wish I would have, you know, things like that. So mm. learning from mistakes and trusting your instincts and finding your, you know, your true north on these players and being able to really stick to your guns. Um, it's it's very challenging to do that in this industry with all the opinions and all the news and all the things that can fluctuate value. Um, so take your time and do your own evaluations. And then trust yourself. Uh, you're gonna be you're gonna be a lot happier, you know, being wrong about your own analysis than taking someone else's and being wrong about it. So, no, that's I don't know. I guess I could talk for another fifteen minutes, but <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, one well, one question I have, and I and I'm really glad you brought up just trying to figure out where you went wrong. Uh, yep. But I, um, I, uh, I think one of the re- one of the ways I went wrong last year was trying to tweak my team too much before the actual NFL draft. I mean, I know you can take advantage of some things here and there, but mm-hmm. you know, the the classic example is I traded for, um, oh, excuse me, I traded for Trey Mason. Thought I made a hell of a yep. deal, and then they draft Todd Gurley. I mean, it's just like, yep, what? Why, why did they do that? So, I mean, well, what's, what are your thoughts on making trades prior to uh, the uh, well, actual Well, you NFL just brought up, I mean, we made the same mistake, you know, there. I, I traded for Trey Mason in our DFW 48 league probably two weeks before the draft as well. And, uh, you know, one of my serious, one of my worst mistakes with the offseason. Um, and, 
you know, there's pluses and minuses to that is if they don't draft Todd Gurley, you're not going to necessarily get Trey Mason for maybe the price you got him, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a risk-reward with with all of that. So you can't say don't do this or don't do that. You have to just make sound analysis because no logical person on God's green earth saw the Rams targeting Todd Gurley there, right? I mm. mean, nobody nobody saw that. So that surprised everybody. And, I mean, that's a, you know, so that was sound analysis. And just like, you know, just like any scenario in life, there's always going to be an X factor to this game. You're always going to lose. You're always going to screw up. You're never going to hit everything right, especially in Dynasty. you got 23 to 50-man rosters. You're not going to get them all right. You're not even going to get close. But if you get more than you get wrong, then you're on the right track. And so it all comes down to, I mean, you make a great point, Josh, and it's something that people need to think about, and that is the draft is a huge X factor. It shuffles everything around. But the other thing you have to remember is the draft is filled with a bunch of rookies. And even though mm-hmm. it seems like in recent years there's been a lot of impactful rookies, and there have been, there's been a, there's been just as many situations that we expect a rookie to come in and succeed, and they don't. And and the, the veteran that's been there that we've said is going to be done for the last three years just keeps trugging along and ends up being a stud fantasy player for you. And mm-hmm. so... There, there's no right way to do this except what I found every single year is the more that I trust my instincts, the more that I stick to my guns, the more that I form my own analysis before I go out there and read somebody else's, the happier I am and typically the more successful I am with my teams. Um, and, and the first being the more important part is I'm more rewarded with that, Right. Because it's not because I found something that somebody else, you know, if I go out and read what everybody else is reading, we're all going to have the same ideas. So the only way my I can get advantages over everybody else is to have my own unique perspective on these players and trust my instincts. And, you know, for whatever reason, call it luck or call it, um, you know, a good eye for running backs, that seems to be my strong suit over the last three or four years. And I've been fortunate enough to share that with DFW, which kind of sucks because then I don't get an advantage over anybody else. But, you know, but when when I look, you know, when I look back over the last three or four years, you know, I mean, yeah, not everybody's been a home run like Devonta Freeman or David Johnson, but even a guy like Zach Stacy for a year. I mean, you know, to be able to look at that guy when nobody else is looking at him and say, this guy is pretty damn good. You know, he may have faded out, but he's easily an NFL running back. The fact that he's not even on a draft radar is ridiculous. If he goes to the combine, this is a guy who's going to get drafted. Not only that, he's built as an every down back. He could be very effective at this level, you know. And so then to watch that actually play out and have that, you know, kind of reconfirm what you saw when no one else saw it and be able to benefit from that guy his entire rookie season only to have him fall off the face of the planet, which does suck. But at the same time, he was absolutely nowhere. He wasn't even on a top 10 running back prospect list 
before the combine, you know. So, you know, that kind of stuff. And then to have to stick by your guns while everybody's calling you an idiot for loving Devonta Freeman, you know, as your number one running back. And even though you're painting a great picture to have everybody go, you're nuts. He's never going to be a lead back. He can't, da, 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 da. To be able to see that guy come out and be clearly the best fantasy running back in the league this year and do it exactly how you imagine it in your head. You know, I don't get them all right, not by a long shot. But David Johnson was another one. And so trusting those instincts. I mean, I didn't win any leagues because of those guys, and I actually sold Devontae Freeman high, but not high enough. And I probably could have won a few leagues if I would have kept him. So I made – there's so many ways to screw up, you know. There's so many ways to screw up on a player. And, and, but what you really get rewarded for more than anything is just trusting that instinct, you know, and, and saying, this is my strength. This is where I do have an advantage over somebody else. And this is where I'm going to make sure that no matter how much I'm ridiculed or what everybody else is saying, it really doesn't matter, you know, and, and, uh, I find that the only real disappointments I have at the end of the year are the ones that I got wrong, but not because I got them wrong, but because I took somebody else's advice on them or I let somebody else sway me off of my original opinion and, you know, sipping the Kool-Aid in another direction. And those are the ones that I regret. Those are the ones at the end of the season where I'm like, God dang it, I know better than this now. It's three, four years. And every year, I get a little better, and every year that I stick to my guns a little better, I end up doing a little better overall as well and just feeling better about everything. So that would be my best advice to everybody is, hey, we don't all have time to scout every player, so we do need to take other people's advice. But try to form your own opinions. Try to get your eyes on some of these players. And if you can, you'll be able to get a little advantage. You'll be able to see what you like in players and what you think translates better at the NFL. And, uh, you know, that homework pays off. Uh, yeah, and to speak back to your rookie comments, um, you know, just to remind everybody, I know I've probably said it every week for the last month, Melvin Gordon didn't score a touchdown this year. I mean, who, who would have ever predicted that? You know, I mean, we would have just ridiculed right. that person to, yeah, all over the place. Nick, any, any questions? Well, first off, i got to thank you, Dan. Uh, you were the first guy I heard banging drums on David Johnson last year, and he's the guy that helped me win a championship this season. Yeah, uh, that so, guy's going to so a freak of nature. He's a, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I cannot I cannot emphasize it enough. When I saw him transition at the end of the year, this is exactly what happened. I'm putting it out there right now. He's a top three or four PPR running back going forward. So if you can get him for any cheaper than that, put him on your roster. He's Matt Forte on steroids. <laughs> Yep, I, I love that analogy too because I, I agree. Yep. With you. That's that's pretty much what he looks like. So I, I know it's yep. early, but do you have any uh, any guy like David Johnson, the, uh, a rookie this year, that might be kind of getting overlooked that you're really high on? You know, I wish I could. I wish I could say I did. Um, it's a little too early for me to comfortably throw out anybody right now. One of the one of the things I was 
going to do this year is actually take a little longer to establish my initial positions on some of these players because that is actually part of my learning process from the last couple of years is I was really quick to get my analysis out there and it changed a lot and it changed too much and it changed due to, you know, the the things I was kind of talking about earlier. And so this year I'm going to take my time a little bit more and that's one thing you can do with rookies as well. I know everybody wants the information right away, but the the tape doesn't change on these guys, okay? The conversation does, but the tape doesn't, right? So even though we're in a race to get this information, there isn't a huge race. There's a lot of information and a lot of pieces of these puzzles that need to be put together over the next three or four months or more. So, you know, it's important to take your time, you know, look, actually get to the video, form a solid opinion, and really get your idea of who you think has the best chances of success in the NFL. And I guess what I can tell you, Nick, is that's what I look for. I don't necessarily look for fan size. I don't look for, um, you know, I don't look necessarily for, uh, you know, um, uh, blocking ability or anything like that. It's all part of it, but really it's an imagination is what I describe it as. It's, it's imagining this person's running style or this person's wide receiver routes or this person's, you know, drop back passing ability. It's imagining what that is going to look like in the NFL. And if you can kind of imagine what you know about the NFL and then and how that league operates and the speed it operates at and what you can get away with and what you can't get away with, you can start imagining how some of these people could be successful. And once you figure out how they can be successful, then it, then then when they get drafted, you can start putting those pieces of the puzzle together because then you get a few more. Then it's like, okay, they can be successful doing this. Well, is this team going to allow them to do this? You know, is this offense set up to, you know, like Tyler Lockett, for instance. That guy could be Antonio Brown on, on any number of teams, right? I mean, absolutely love Tyler Lockett. You guys know that. When he went to Seattle, it was like a kick in the gut. And by all, per, you know, all intents and purposes, the guy had an amazing season. Amazing season, which is an absolute stud, except that he's on Seattle. And so he never really became fantasy relevant for anybody. Maybe you lucked out and you got him in there on the one week or something that he caught two TDs or something like that. But the reality is, is there's a really good chance that guy's never going to be fantasy relevant in that offense. Maybe he does. I just don't see it. I don't see it because we haven't seen it for a long time, and I don't see it because Russell Wilson is a small guy, Tyler Lockett's a small guy, and in order for Tyler Lockett to be a stud, he needs someone who can sit in the in the pocket and throw over six foot seven guys. And that's going to be a trouble. That's going to be a lot of trouble going from 5'10 to 5'10 or whatever, you know. So – you know, I just – things like that. And and so when you see that draft position, then you can go, okay, you know, 
you know, <laughs> uh, he's not going to be as upside as I know he could be if he was on a different team, right? And that's not to say he never will be. I'm just not holding my breath. And I didn't mean to get off on a ramp on Tyler Lockett because I don't even know what the hell your original question was. Jesus. I need some sleep. How do you feel or how much should uh, we research coaching changes? You know, Alan Saturday here at the site wrote a great article about uh, the Dolphins' offensive players now with Adam Gaze mm-hmm. on Monday. Yeah. If you guys didn't read that, you got to go check it out. It was, it was really good stuff and, like, like like Alan always does, he just kind of lays it out, no BS style. Is you know he just he's a truth yep. teller. But uh, how, how much how much should we evaluate that, and what, what how much do you consider that as you're talk, as you're looking at maybe players from those teams? Yeah, I mean Miami's a perfect example of all the things that you need to factor in in a very short amount of time. You know when you look at. Devontae Parker coming down the stretch pretty good and starting to build chemistry. When you look at how misused Lamar Miller was again all season long, when you think of Jay, you know, and the being a free agent, when you look at, you know, Ajaye just sitting there waiting for his opportunity, and now you have an entire new head coach who happens to be offensive minded, particularly a quarterback specialist. And you have a quarterback in Tannehill who we've all seen the upside. We've all, we've all you know, hoped for it, but he's never been able to realize it on a consistent fantasy basis. So here's a perfect example of just how overwhelming the offseason is and how you can get things so right and so wrong out of the same situation. You know, I mean, where do you go from there? I mean, yes, you, to answer your question, you should take it extremely seriously. And you should read Alan's Changing Places articles because they're fantastic. And they tell you all about scheme and they tell you all about coaching philosophy and they tell you all about how he likes to work in offense. Why wouldn't you want that information? You know, that doesn't mean it's going to work that way, but it gives you at least a base point for how it could work. Um, and probably the best case, in, you know, and probably the best base for how it could work. And then, yeah, I mean, you could spend all day just analyzing that situation. Flip a coin. Does Lamar Miller stay or does he go? I don't know. You know, does this improve Ryan Tannehill? I don't think so, but maybe. I know their play calling can improve. I think Miami's play calling was among the worst in the league last year, and with a balanced attack, they're a borderline playoff team. And Ryan Tannehill's a much better and more effective quarterback. Will Adam Gase be able to do that? Maybe. How does that relate to fantasy points? I don't know. You know? So, you know, so, you know, and it could affect Javaris, you know, Javaris, or Jarvis Landry, too. You know, who who knows? So, it, it's, yeah, it's, uh, is, is someone running a garbage disposal or what? No, I'm sorry. I just, I just, I dropped something and tried to, tried to catch it, ever so quietly, and that was not the case. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's uh, not, let's leave juice out of this for now. I'm, I'm hoping he's still all right, uh, Mr. Landry. Uh, I love that guy. But anyway, yeah. uh, Nick, any other questions there for Dan, Nick? 
Uh, yeah, let's go back to the Seattle receiver situation. Uh, what are your thoughts on Doug Baldwin moving forward? Is he a guy that you're wanting to sell high or hold on to? I think he's going to be one of the most controversial players this offseason. I lo- well, I mean, I love Doug Baldwin. What's not to love about Doug Baldwin personally, you know, just as a player, right? He's everything that you want to root for in a player. I mean, he was actually DFW's first player interview. You know, we actually have an article where we interviewed the guy. It's on the site somewhere. You can Google it or search for it on DFW. And it's a great interview. And, and, I mean, he's an intelligent player, and he's a savvy player, and he's earned everything that he can get. Him and him and Wilson have a major connection. Um, what do I think on Dougie B? I guess at this point, Nick, I don't know – how anyone can truly trust that relationship, I guess, is the most honest answer I can give you. I mean, if you can look me in the face and say without a doubt that Doug Baldwin is now a a double-digit touchdown guy, uh, big play threat, someone who you have to have flexed in your lineup every single week moving forward, and you can look at me with a straight face and say that you trust that connection now, after four years and of complete inconsistency between the two, then more power to you. Me, I can't. So for me, he would be a sell high right now. If you can and you see something I don't, more power to you. And I could be wishing next year that I had his 14 or 15 touchdowns on my line. But for me personally, I don't see how – a switch just flipped where that type of consistency is going to be able to repeat itself year in and year out. I do not think Doug Baldwin is savvy enough. I do not think he's physically gifted enough to be able to really cope with the type of attention that the NFL will shift over to him if he continues to be the clear receiving threat for Seattle. That said... Tyler Lockett is a serious threat as well, so that could keep defenses honest. Uh, A healthy Jimmy Graham could help keep defenses honest, but then I can make the argument those guys are going to also keep him inconsistent. So, you know, so, you know, it's it's such a, everything's such a double-sided coin, and I could argue with myself. It's like playing chess with yourself, you know. I mean, that's, that's, (laughs) You know, I mean, that's what we're talking about with all of these situations. So if I were to give you advice, which is technically what I do, I would say sell high on WB, you know, um, and that would be my advice. Uh, I would feel, I feel 75% confident that he will not consistently produce like he has the last half of the season. <laughs> I know that's I would, not a bold would, like you know, <laughs> you know that's not no, as bold as some people like it, but that's as honest as I can get with it, you know. That makes perfect sense, and I and I would love to play chess by myself. I might actually win, uh, but uh, <laughs> I guess that's all we had for you, Dan. As always, uh, we appreciate you coming by. Um, it's it's like we're in class. I think every time you come by, Professor Burgundy's here, and uh, it's awesome. I feel. I feel uh, feel like I learned something today, and I hope everybody out there did too. So thank you, bud, and have a good day. 
You bet. I'm going to say a shout-out to uh, my beautiful wife, Sarah, who uh, has her birthday today. I'm just going to get that out there right now. So happy All birthday, right. baby. All right. Yes, happy birthday, Sarah. All right. All right. Take care, guys. And that's how committed Dan is to uh, the Dynasty Craft to be doing this on his wife's birthday. I hope she's at work and he's not getting in trouble. Um <laughs> Uh, moving forward, uh, Nick, couple, um, sorry. One of the questions I raised to Dan, and, and when I guess I wanted to more point it towards you just in the Ryan Tannehill aspect. What do you think? Is Ryan Tannehill uh, more more design, desirable now with Adam Gaze in town? Uh, yes, I think he's definitely more desirable, but I do fear the lemming effect to some extent, uh, and his perceived value gets pushed too high. Uh, you know, there's so much talk about Jay Cutler's great year, but he played the same amount of games in 2015 as he did in 2014, but he had a lower completion percentage, less yards, and seven less touchdowns this year. He went 6-9, and nine, but had to come from behind in the fourth quarter in four of those six games, so that's not really too far off from 2-13. and 13. Uh, Plus, the fact that Gase could possibly want to choose his own quarterback, it's not completely inconceivable that they draft one. Uh, you remember how we talked about uh, Devontae Adams' trade every week last offseason? I wouldn't be surprised if we see the same thing with Tannehill this offseason. Hmm. That is that is a very good point. I think it could certainly be, make him a little bit more desirable, but I think I hear what you're saying about the prices are going to be jacked up. Uh, but ultimately, I feel like, you know, this is a game where coaches only get two or three years, so if it's, it's, I feel like he's going to have to do it right away, but I don't think it's going to be next year. I think it might be the year after, you know, if if they're so uh, so uh, thankful enough to actually stay together for for a good amount of years. I think he could turn him, turn some, certainly eventually turn some heads. Um, and I think a lot of people question Adam Gates as an offensive coordinator as he when he left Denver to go to Chicago because, of course, his quarterback was Peyton Manning and. And, you know, isn't Manning the offensive coordinator of any team he's on? I think that's what a lot of people thought. But I think Gaze proved himself, but he also proved himself as an extremely veteran quarterback. Ryan Tannehill is a guy that played played wide receiver for most of his time in college. And, you know, he's, he was I think he was a quarterback maybe a season and a half at Texas A&M. And granted, he's got some great years under his belt, but uh, I think it's still it's, – it's just not a – it's not a switch for me that's going to be uh, flipped immediately. So. Um, each and every week we do a little something, excuse me, that we like to call Nick Rants. It's where I give my co-host Nick the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him. Something on his mind, something on his mind. Usually it's football related. Sometimes I like to call it shots fired. Sometimes I like to call it the often controversial. Uh, Nick, what do you got for us? Well, maybe I'm beating a dead horse criticizing Bill O'Brien yet again for his decisions regarding the quarterback position. And I understand that after benching Brian Hoyer in week one too early, he didn't want to repeat that mistake in the playoffs. But circumstances were very different in the wild card loss. For starters, Hoyer should have been on a short leash. As well as Brandon Whedon played in weeks 15 and 16, completing over 60% of his passes both weeks with three touchdowns, no interceptions, and winning both games, you know, I'm a little bit surprised Houston didn't just roll with the hot hand in Whedon. It's one thing to put the backup back on the bench when the starter is an established player, but when the starter is a fringe guy like Hoyer, only 5-4 and four as a starter this year, 
really it's a toss-up as far as who the better quarterback is, so why not play the guy who's hot? Especially when it was obvious from the start that it wasn't going to be Hoyer's day. That first interception hit the defender right in the numbers. It was just like, oh, one of the worst passes I've ever seen in the playoffs. And, you know, while Houston did lose 30 to nothing, it's not like that was the score in the first quarter. At halftime, they were only down 13 to nothing. And the rest of the team played pretty well. Alfred Blue had 99 yards. The defense held Alex Smith under 200 yards passing. Uh, Ware was Kansas City's leading rusher with only 67 yards. Houston as a team only had four penalties for 29 yards. With even an average quarterback, Houston could have won that game. But Hoyer's four interceptions and only under 50% completion rate sealed the Texans' fate. It isn't fair to the players or the fans when the head coach gets so paralyzed by his past mistakes that he can't pull the trigger when the guy playing the most important position in sports is not performing. So hopefully the team finds a legitimate starting quarterback this offseason because if not, I think it's unlikely unlikely that they make the postseason again. Are you there, Josh? Sorry. Sorry, I had mute on. Um, I, do, I do hear what you're saying about how um, he didn't want to make the same mistake that he made in week one, but that's coming off of, off of a preseason where everybody should be ready to rock. You know, Hoyer had missed how many games? Obviously, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't all there. He was rusty, coming off concussion protocol. I'm sure he was cleared and everything, but it just wasn't, wasn't a good situation, and they needed, they needed to realize that because this isn't a, oh, you know, we'll get him next week type of thing. This is getting shut out at home in front of your home crowd. So, um, obviously, the Hackenberg rumors are are swirling and whatnot, but uh, yeah, they better make the right decision because that QB situation has been an absolute mess. They thought they thought they had a decent situation when they drafted uh, David Carr, but of course they neglected to get an offensive line to protect him. And I feel like they haven't really gone for a franchise quarterback in the draft uh, ever since. But uh, obviously, this team has a defense that can get hot. And uh, that is that is the missing piece, and you have another, you know, desirable piece, and uh, DeAndre Hopkins on on the outside. Um, so they, yeah, they they have things in place, and I just I know it's Brandon Whedon, but you you had to just realize the the moment and what was on the line there. So yeah, not a not a not a good situation there for Texans to be shut out at home like that. Um, Nick, we're going to skip trade reflections this week because we're running a little long, and we'll get to that next week. But we're going to um, right now we're going to do our uh, dynasty dilemma as we uh, pit two players against each other. Something we do every week. Uh, I was hope I'm sure Nick was hoping Kirk Cousins would have got himself a playoff win this week, but uh, that's all right. So next uh, next got Cousins, and I got Tyrod Taylor. What do you got for us, Nick? Hold on, sorry, ah, music's not working. Go ahead. Now, I'm not completely sold on Kirk Cousins being a winning NFL quarterback, but he is a guy who I think, in a league full of Brian Hoyers, Josh McCowns, and Blaine Gabbards, Cousins should be a lock to be a starter for the next few years. And as long as he's paired with Jay Gruden, he should also be a weekly starter for fantasy football purposes. Just look at his numbers since he turned the corner in the comeback win over Tampa Bay in Week 7. Uh, seven games out of 11 over 300 yards. His only game under 200 yards was Week 17. He only played half of that game. Uh, three games with four touchdowns. Another two games with three scores through the year. Plus, he added five touchdowns on the ground over that span, which does include the playoff loss. 
24 touchdowns and only three interceptions in those 11 games. Uh, Cousins threw at least one touchdown every week in 2015. you got to love that high floor. Uh, Cousins, he's virtually unbenchable. You know, if Gruden benched him now after promoting him ahead of RG3, he might as well resign on the spot. So even when Kirk Cousins has the brain farts like taking a knee to in the half when they were in chip shot field goal range or getting sacked on fourth down, he's allowed to play through those things, whereas some other quarterbacks in the league might get benched. Now, Tyrod Taylor is a guy who has some upside, but in Buffalo's run-oriented offense, he has a very low floor. He had six games this year where he was under 200 yards. He had zero games over 300 yards. Uh, zero games of four scores, and only had five of the games where he had multiple touchdown passes. And while he is more athletic and rushes for more yards than does Kirk Cousins, Cousins actually had two more rushing touchdowns than Ty- Taylor did. Uh, not to mention the risks that come with being a running quarterback. He's not exactly built like Cam Newton. What if he gets dinged up, misses a month, and some kid they draft in the third round goes 4 0 and sets the world on fire? Heck, it wouldn't be completely shocking if they took a quarterback in round one if they fell in love with the guy. Uh, seven and six as a starter doesn't guarantee him a job by any means next year. So in Kirk Cousins, we have a player with far more job security, who's less of an injury risk, who plays for a more pass-happy coach, in a more potent offense, in a weaker division, and he's put up better numbers than Tyron Taylor. There's no question Kirk Cousins is the way to go. Okay, well, I do hear what you're saying about job security. You make some very good points as always. This is Rex's guy, and that's kinda why kinda why I'm pretty pretty okay with being in the Taylor camp here. So Taylor spent four years back in a Joe Flacco in Baltimore. He wisely took that job seriously, played Scott team quarterback each week and learned so much versatility along the way. Uh nickname, I didn't know this until I started researching. Uh nickname is T Mobile, which I uh have a nice metaphor for about about that later on uh, when when you read the write up. But uh, T Mobile uh, Taylor is arguably one of the best athletes in the NFL at that quarterback position. Um, in 14 games this season, he accumulated over 3,000 yards and over 500 rushing yards. His numbers were eerily similar to Russell Wilson in RG3 rookie rookie campaigns. Only tw- only so obviously you can go either way with those two guys. But only only 26 years old Taylor has defied many to become a full-time starter and a fantasy-relevant player. Taylor was officially fantasy QB number 16, according to our good friends at fantasydata.com. And that makes him a fringe starter with everybody's favorite dynasty term, potential. With two more starts, he probably would have jumped into the top 12 conversation. I don't think we have to ask, I don't think we could ask much more from a first-year starter. Not much is known. Not much was known this summer about who would start for the for Buffalo under under new head coach Rex Ryan. When they acquired Taylor, rumors stained the internet, but so many thought so many thought he was not a serious contender. Um, more, excuse me, more so he looked like as depth, just a veteran type of depth player. Taylor's relevance was felt week one when he, when his Bills battled Andrew Luck and the Colts. Much to the dismay of the fantasy community, Taylor outscored Luck and route to a Bills victory. Yet nobody was nobody was ready to juice the the ripe fruit that was Taylor growing. Cousins is great, an, equ- an equally similar story, though a very though though a very they are very different players stylistically. Cousins is a hot name right now due to his dashing finish. His Connections with Jordan Reed are starting to become seriously dangerous. Yet, he must find a consistent downfield option to win in this league. 
I do ponder if Cousins is is strong is strong more is strong year is more of a reflection on the brutal NFC East. Will the, will there be an upswing this off season within the division that makes Cousins more pedestrian after starting a full slate of 16 games? An enormous the enormous amount of film on Cousins can can now be used against him. Whatever a team is is to do in a variety of ways. Excuse me. Whatever is to, a team to do in a variety of ways to eliminate Jordan Reed from the scheme, the Pats and Colts did that to Reed, where he in both games or excuse me, the Pats and Cowboys did that to Reed. Uh, first time the Cowboys played him on Monday night, Reed had three receptions for under under 34 yards in both and two of the worst losses of the season for Washington. Not ironically, Cousins threw for under 222 yards in those uh, those games and only one touchdown. Now, obviously, Cousins will make adjustments, too. Yet I still choose Taylor because I believe his game and his team is more versatile. Sure, Taylor Taylor has the universe, the universe, the universally awesome Sammy Watkins, but he also has won games by feeding Charles Clay, Robert Woods, Carlos Williams, oh, and LaShawn McCoy is not too bad. I, I, I choose the more rounded athlete. Taylor, who had to work his tail off to get this chance, and now he can make his multifaceted game work and do in-game adjustments as well. Nick, any rebuttal? Well, I will admit that uh, if I was starting an actual NFL team, that it would be a lot closer as far as which one I would take, Taylor or Cousins, but I just think in the systems that they're in, uh, Kirk Cousins provides a lot more fantasy upside than does Tyrod Taylor, simply because the Bills run the ball so much more, whereas Jay Gruden loves to to just air it out. Okay. All right. Well, and I think my main argument, though, I'll leave it at this, is while Cousins certainly had the better year, he was a uh, fantasy quarterback eight as opposed to Taylor being fantasy quarterback 16, I think the potential for Taylor to grow is more than I, – I mean, I don't know if we can see – I don't think Cousins could potentially be any better than he was this year. And if he duplicates those numbers, that's that's awesome. But I just don't see – I don't see him. I know you see potential. I just don't see him getting much better than he was this year, unfortunately. So uh, I guess we'll leave it at that. Um, some dynasty trade analysis here. Just a couple early ones going on. Uh, what do you think about Grant for Amari Cooper and Crockett Gilmore, Nick? I think it's pretty even. I mean, Gronk is great, but he does have the injury history, so you worry about that a little bit. And picking up a guy like Amari Cooper, who, I mean, the sky's the limit for that for that kid. So I, I think it's pretty fair on both sides. Yeah, and it, I, I've looked at this one for a long time, too, just to just to find a, kind of find an angle. And I think it is fair. I know it is Gronk. And Crockett Gilmore is no Gronk, but I don't think Gilmore is a guy that's going to kill you either. Uh, he grew up very, very much so this year in that Baltimore offense that lost so many players, and I think uh, that's certainly something for them to build on there. And I think he's going to be an effective, at least red zone option, this offense for for the next handful of years. And obviously, Cooper's got enormous amount of potential, and he showed so much this year too. So. Uh, Devontae Parker and C.J. Anderson for Devontae Freeman. What do you think? Um, I love the side that picked up Devontae Freeman. You know, we 
C.J. Anderson, it's such a coin toss as far as who's going to be the productive running back week to week in Denver. And Devontae Parker, we he's flashed a little bit towards the end of the year, but we haven't seen a consistent season from him yet. So, uh, and, you know, uh, Burgundy talked about Freeman a little bit while he was on. and Yeah, he's one of the top five probably dynasty running backs moving forward. So, yeah, I love the side picking up Freeman. Tevin Coleman is still in town, and I know, you know, obviously that can go two different ways. You know, with you know, we talked about the Mason Gurley situation too, but I just don't necessarily trust the fact that Freeman's going to be that same amount, that same type of player next year. Again, it's the it's the film issue. People will look and know no ways to stop him, and it's not like this team went roaring into the playoffs either. So they obviously have to make adjustments to make themselves more successful. And maybe, you know, that, that, that could be a less, less carries for Freeman. You know, he had some, he had a lot of points and a lot in some of their wins and then some other, and he had some points in some of their losses too, but I just don't necessarily think he's, he's locked in there. Um, uh, all that being said, I think I like that side just a little bit better too. I, I think C.J. Anderson could just be uh, – I don't think he could necessarily be anything next year. I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure he'll give us something, but I'm not, I would be very surprised if he's a, a top-20 type running back moving forward. So, um, but, and, and, I, and I do like Parker. I think he's got something to build on. But, again, I'm second year in the NFL, new, new scheme, lots, lots to learn there. So be patient with those uh, Miami guys. Uh, just a couple prospect profiles for you today as we won't keep Chuck waiting too long here. Um, just a couple guys I want to talk about. Uh, DeForest Buckner, defensive end, Knicks, Oregon Ducks. Uh, did I say Oregon right? Is it Oregon? Did I need to say it really fast? <laughs> Oregon, yeah. Oh, Oregon, okay. Not Oregon. Oregon. Okay, um, like the things in your body, Oregon. Um, Buckner is a mammoth specimen, Six seven two ninety. Yet I don't feel this potential top 20 pick uses his size to his advantage. Most of the film that I have seen on him, Buckner immediately stands up um, after the snap with little to no burst. Um, Now, I understand it's hard for a tall guy to get low, but can you imagine if Buckner was able to get underneath offensive linemen after the snap and then do a little full body extension? He would knock some guys on their butts just because he's so big. Um, I just and and maybe I look at these defensive ends more like um, kind of like my this is gonna sound weird but I'll, I'll explain it like minor league hockey players like if you look at stats from hockey players almost everybody in the NHL no matter how many points they scored annually for their NHL team scored like way more points per game than they did when they were like in in juniors or in minors that's an and when they get to the NHL, they, you know, let's say a guy scored 140 points in 70 minor league games. He's, he's maybe going to give you 20 in the NHL. I don't know if you guys are hockey fans, uh, but just almost everybody, that's their basis. That's what they're able to do. You want to see stats. You want to see production from every level at this guy. Even if it, does, even if it means they're not going to be highly productive at the NFL level, you want to see them be able to make a difference for their team. And I just don't see that, especially with a guy like this, who's obviously going to be a defensive end, probably a 3-4 defensive end. You want to see him create havoc. You want to see him rush the passer. You want to see him chase quarterbacks down. 
And while he's big and maybe he, you know, it's just an edge setter and not a not a sexy guy, so he's certainly maybe not somebody on our IDP roster. I just I wanted to take a hard look at him because, like I said, most people have this guy as a top 20, maybe top 15 pick in almost all, all the mock drafts I see. And I just, no offense to your duck there, Nick, but what, what do you think? Have you seen, have you, have you watched a lot of film on Buckner or you, what, just what you got? Uh, uh, I haven't, but I did want to ask you, uh, does he remind you at all of uh, Eric Armstead, the duck that came out last year, also another big guy at six seven two ninety two. Uh, he does, and you know maybe it's the the Oregon scheme. Obviously, they're they're very similar in size, and maybe they're just not asked to do a whole lot because this obviously this team is very speed driven offensively and defensively, more so in the secondary, obviously. So maybe they're not just not asked to do a lot. But I just don't. I yeah, I just don't. Uh, I don't see it. I don't see it. As like I said, he's probably going to be a three four D end at the next level, and uh, you know. Maybe he'll have the opportunity to, to go inside and use his height against some shorter guards, but i just just not seeing it with him, especially IDP-wise. Um, the next guy I wanted to talk about is uh, Calvin Taylor. Of course, he is the son of uh, Fred Taylor, the Jacksonville legendary running back. Uh, his uh, He has excellent balance, is, is enhanced by his, his excellent balance, is enhanced by his strong lower body. He can be elusive, but he can also break tackles. Uh, the pedigree is more of a compliment than a burden. He certainly plays with a lot of fire and attitude. I really like Taylor as kind of a day three contributing rookie with a lot of upside as a feature back. Um, it's not going to be a right away thing just because of where he's drafted, I think, but he certainly could could be a feature back down the road. Uh, he needs to get a little bit better between tackles um, and has – has to work on his pass-catching ability, although the opportunity wasn't a lot for him to catch passes out of there in, uh, for the Florida Gators. Um, coincidentally, I just kind of sent a tweet out yesterday, too, asking, asking some people that I know about him, and I happened to follow former Florida Gator wide receiver, Jacques Green, and he actually responded, so I told him I was going to quote him on the podcast. I don't know if you remember Jacques Green, but he was mid-90s, little guy, slot receiver for the Gators. Absolutely killed my Seminoles. Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, if you don't know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Um, he said that he's a great inside runner, and he believes that he has very good feet, and he catches the ball well. Uh, big time vision, and he finishes his run. So he's he's a little more on the pass catching thing. So that made me feel a little more comfortable because I know this guy, Jacquez, is currently an offensive coordinator at a Florida high school in Tallahassee, I believe. Um, but obviously, he's a big fan of his Gators, so he's probably seen a lot more film on him than I have. So he think he thinks he can he can do the pass catching thing. What actually gets me a little bit more excited about his prospects, and maybe he slips in uh, as as a day two guy, but at five. You know, 5'10", 205, nice size for running back there. So, Nick, any questions there on Kelvin Taylor? Well, first off, Fred Taylor's kid's already in the NFL. We are we are getting old, Josh. Uh, I, I know. I felt that, too. I felt that pretty hard. <laughs> but uh, any idea what round you're projecting him to go in in the NFL draft? Do they, do they still do two and three on Friday? Is that how they did it last year? That's uh, so, I, so I, think, I can't remember. Yeah, I want to say four, but I I'm usually a little conservative. I uh, one of our other friends friends of the podcast, Brian the said he's 
He's a he's a third round guy. That's that's his grade on him. So I'll, we'll say we'll say three to four given me and, me and Brian's analysis is there. So uh, analysis is is that a word? Um, but anyway, Mr. Chuck Budaisky has been patiently waiting to give us some lines out of Vegas. What do you get? So let's patch him through. Chuck, are you there? Hey guys, how's it going? Good. Running a little long today. Sorry about that. Yeah, How what's are you the deal today? here? That's that's never happened before. What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, well, the um, we can uh, start off by looking at how we did last week, unless you guys don't want to know. Sure. How how did we do? Actually, nobody did too badly. I was uh, six and two. That's why I'm mentioning it. I missed two things. I missed the uh, the over unders on uh, the, the uh, Bengals and Steelers, and I missed the Redskins. I think we all missed the Redskins. We swept that. But, mm-hmm. uh, Josh, you were 4-4, four and four, and Nick was 3-5 and five for the week from what I can, uh, from what I can discern. But, uh, okay. but who, who would ever know? I, I didn't know that they were going to have a pouring rainstorm in Cincinnati that Saturday night, so I kind of have an excuse for that one, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that was probably the one bet I was most confident about was that over the overhitting in that game, but boy, that I'll tell you what—that was the most one of the most interesting games I have ever seen in my life. And interesting is, you know, is uh, is, is is kind of an easy word on that one. Uh, it just—I was just riveted to the TV for the last ten minutes of that game. It was incredible. And, and you know, every single game with those two teams has been that way this year. You look at look at the first game. Those two teams locked locked up. Um, yeah, you know what it uh, reminds me of? That was Le'Veon Bell got hurt. Yeah. Le'Veon Bell got hurt, and then the last time they played it was totally in, just almost as intense, but probably wasn't as publicized as it was in the playoff. Sorry, Chuck, go ahead. Now, this this series between these two teams is starting to remind me of the uh, the hockey series between the Avalanche and the Red Wings about, you know, you watch <laughs> it just to see what was going to happen in that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it, seriously. I mean, when those two, I will make sure and watch every game these two teams play next year. Now, but whether oh, yeah. it's good or bad, it's it's going to draw my eyes to the TV just to just to watch what happens. Yeah, we'll see if uh, Burfecht's suspension hasn't hasn't missed one of those games. But uh, uh, and no penalty on Ryan Cesar either for going helmet to helmet because I guess <laughs> what is it? What is it, Nick? Um, Nick Blandino over there, what do you got for us? Is it because he committed himself as a runner? That means you could just take out a baseball bat and hit him in the face with the helmet, or right? Or you could, you could hit helmet to face mask? I don't know. Uh, Nick, any Yeah, I don't understand that either. And, uh, you know, even even worse than saying that uh, is the, the guys on TV trying to say about, you know, to, to, uh, to justify the uh, – the officials calling of it, saying that's the right call, and X was they nothing was ever the wrong call during that game, and and I love Jim Nance, wasn't he the one doing the game? Oh uh, yeah, Colin. Jim did. Nance. Anyway, yeah. uh, well, whoever it was, they they, uh, I remember I liked the announcer. It just seemed like they were siding with the NFL side of everything on that one. <laughs> Oh, I'm just, I'm sure they are. <laughs> uh, it's in their contract. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, let's right move now on to this on, week, huh? Sure. News right now on CBS Sportsline. Big Ben says Burfix hit was not dirty. 
Interesting. And Pac-Man will apologize if Antonio Brown doesn't play. So <laughs> something to think about. Well, some something these guys brought up on the on the local sports radio here uh, when they were talking about the game was the fact that you know maybe it wasn't maybe it was a national show. Uh, oh, actually, it was Dan Lebetard. You know, you know, what if Perfect hadn't have been down by contact in that game? That would have been <laughs> the biggest play ever in the NFL if he would have run that ball into the locker room and and uh, given the Steelers a, a, a two point safety that won the game for him. <laughs> I, I had to laugh at. I, I was laughing all the way when he was carrying that. It's like, where is he going? <laughs> Uh, Jim Marshall. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there were shades of Jim Marshall there. Let's move on to this weekend's <laughs> games, okay? And we'll, uh, once again, we are uh, picking the winners and we're picking the over-unders here um, for the uh, for the weekend. And I, you know, I like these first two weekends of the playoffs. There's four. There's two games each day, four games total, and it's, uh, you know, even though the, you know, next week's games, then the Super Bowl are for all the marbles. I love having having two games each day. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, yeah I, do, I do appreciate that, yeah. It may just be the fantasy football players in a Yeah. Well, just in case one game is a total failure like the Texans, um, it's nice to have that re- yeah. re- redeemer. <laughs> Are you ready? So Saturday. I'm ready. Saturday. 4.35 okay. Eastern. 135 my time. Chiefs are at the Patriots, and the Patriots are five-point favorites. The over-under in this game is uh, now at 42. It started at 43.5, so apparently uh, somebody thinks that they aren't going to score too many points on Saturday. Okay. Nick, what are your thoughts? Um, I know the Kansas City Chiefs have been one of the hottest, probably the hottest team going into the playoffs, but it's just too tough to picture them going into New England and winning. I think the Patriots can win this one by a touchdown, and I'll probably go with the under, too. I I just think Bill Belichick is going to figure out a way to slow down Alex Smith and the Travis Kelsey connection. I I think it'll be a low-scoring game in New England, but but the Patriots still cover. So Nick is taking Uh, the Patriots and under, right? Yes. Make a very solid argument there, Nick, but I'm not going to be dissuaded. I think I think Kansas City is a bad, bad matchup. I don't care where the game's played. I know New England's New England's got a great home field advantage, but I think it's a bad matchup for them. And I, I you're giving me five points and I think that I I gotta take Kansas City and I'm gonna take the over. I I think um Yeah, I think Kansas City's gonna have the ability to maybe get a lead in this game and uh, obviously Brady may be able to pick a pick the secondary apart, but I think Kansas City Kansas City covers this game by five, I, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they win. I think I think that's just a bad matchup. Chuck, what do you think? Well, there was an interesting article uh, this week on one of the, uh, actually it was a, uh, you know, I, I've got to give credit, it, it was a, a website out of Massachusetts, um, but their point was that Kansas City may be more beset with injuries than uh, New England is. The, the uh, Patriots have had two weeks to to rest up, and almost everybody is going to go, including uh, including Edelman. Um, Kansas City did not play any. I mean, I know they won what uh, ten in a row now, eleven in a row. But 
they really them, haven't yeah. played. Yeah, they really haven't played anybody with an offense like New England's um, in the last oh seven or eight weeks. They played the Raiders, the Browns, the Ravens, Chargers, Raiders again, the Bills. You know, you could argue they're a good offensive team, but you know the Chargers. Uh, even though the Chargers are a good offensive team, they they haven't been. You know, they they suffered a lot of injuries. I was also uh, interested. Uh, to learn that um, uh, Kansas City is only giving up 18 points a game. Uh, they do have a good defense, but I just think with the two weeks, I'm going to side with both of you. I'm going to take the the Patriots and side with Nick on that one, and I'm going to take the overs and side with uh, Josh on that one. So I'm going to take the Patriots minus five in this game. I just, uh, I, you know, the Patriots are back, are back to, to good health. Nobody can stop them. Okay. I do want to oh, mention, also, too, yeah, one thing Brandon I was going to point out is that – sorry. Go ahead. Sometimes the delay on this phone line just drives me nuts. Um, the uh, Chiefs are 30th in the league in, in uh, passing yards given up per game this year. They're 30th in the league, which is which was kind of surprising to me. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Uh, Brandon Bolden was also the leading rusher for New England in this game with 207 yards on the season. I thought that's pretty crazy. Uh, that's weird. Uh, yeah, leading healthy rusher, I guess you would say. Next game, Green Bay at Arizona. What do you got for us? Okay, Arizona won by like 30 points a couple of weeks ago uh, over the Packers. The spread is now uh, the Cardinals by seven. The over-under is 50. All right, Nick, go ahead. Uh, Green Bay looked good against Washington, but, I mean, Washington did kind of sneak into the playoffs because they played in the poor division. So uh, I think they come back down to earth. Arizona, they they got blown out by Seattle in week 17 in a game they didn't care about. Uh, before that, they were – playing lights off football. So I think Arizona runs away with this one. I'll take the over and the Cardinals. And what is – you had 50 for the over check? Yeah, pretty high over under, 50 points. That is pretty high for the NFL. Um, but I, I I like that. I think I think that's uh, probably right about on. So I'll take I'll, – I'm going to side with Nick on both, both, both things, uh, over and uh, Arizona minus the uh, seven. You're taking the over also, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, I can't figure out if Green Bay looked so good last week because they were because they found their groove again, or if uh, or if Washington was just that bad. I'm going to uh, I'm going to say, you know, it, it looks too easy. The Cardinals beating them so easily a couple of weeks ago, um, and the same thing happened with the uh, the Seahawks going into Minnesota, where they uh, they routed the Vikings the first time and uh, and it turned out to that they they should have lost the game they almost and should have lost the game so I'm gonna look for you know in a, in a playoff game in a divisional playoff I'm gonna look for the Packers to to hang in there I think the Cardinals are win I'll be rooting for the Cardinals to win because I think you know I, I like Bruce Arians uh, so I'm gonna take the Cardinals and I'm gonna say that that over under is too high and I'm gonna go under so I'm gonna take the uh, Arizona Cardinals and under okay no clean sweeps on anything yet. Let's move to Sunday as um, Seattle visits Carolina. 
Now, I checked the latest lines on these, Josh and Nick, and uh, Panthers have been in th- at three most of the week. They're they're now down to two and a half at the Westgate here in Las Vegas, and the over under uh, actually has been changing. It was uh, it was forty four, and before when I looked at it this morning, it was forty three and a half, and it's now back up to forty four points. Not a big difference, but you can see that. Uh, the 44 is probably a pretty accurate number or somewhere around there. So Panthers 2.5, uh, 44 is the over-under. Oh, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know what I wanted this spread to be, but I, 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 I want to take <laughs> Seattle in this game. And I don't – I just think their, their passing attack – Obviously, warmer weather than they felt in Minnesota last year. That's kind of the weakness right now in Carolina is their back end. Granted, their front seven can get after the quarterback, but Russell Wilson is obviously mobile. So I'm going to take Seattle, and I'm going to take the over. I think the I think there was 20 or 46 points scored the last two times these played, teams played. So uh, you want to think, especially in a playoff setting, that's going to go straight down and under. But uh, – I've often learned when picking over under is my conventional wisdom is usually wrong, so I'm just going to flip it and take the uh, take the over. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with Carolina in this one. I mean, the fact that they're playing at home, Seattle's got to go all the way across the country. Uh, you know, I know Seattle found a way to get it done last week, but like Chuck mentioned, they should have lost that game had Blair Walsh been able to hit a 27-yard field goal. So, uh, you know, going into the playoffs, I figured that Arizona and Carolina would meet in the NFC Championship game, and I don't see any reason to change my mind on that now, especially at only two and a half points. i got to go with Carolina. But I do think it'll be a lower-scoring game. I think Josh Norman will slow down Doug Baldwin. I don't see Baldwin finding the end zone this week. Uh, so I'm going to go with under 44. Nick's going with the under. Okay. Um, you know, the the two things you think about when you think of these teams is uh, the fact that uh, the, the, they're good defenses. I mean, they're they're great defenses. But, but look at what they're – I mean, Seattle's offense, like the, their last few games, 44, 33, 41, 38, 38, 20, and 38 – and I guess we learned last week that they, they can't play in cold weather. I guess that's the only thing we can learn on that, and maybe Minnesota has a better defense than we thought. Uh, the Panthers, 36, 23, 30, 35, 38, 39. Uh, who's going to show up, the offenses or the defenses on these two teams? Um, I'm going to take the Carolina just because of the home field. You know, with Carolina favored by two and a half, that means that uh, – the odds makers, you know, with three points for home field advantage, that means the odd makers are saying that uh, that if they were on a neutral field, that the Seahawks would be favored by a half. So they're saying the Seahawks are a better team. Um, I think the Panthers have it going. They they've got to learn how to how to win in the playoffs. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say they do. You know, just let's say the Panthers do win, and uh, I'm going to go with the overs with you, Josh. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's it's an odd thing because you, you think, feel like Carolina got redemption for winning in Seattle from that playoff loss last year. And I, I do agree with you. Seattle should have lost that game. Both of you guys said Seattle should have lost that game last week. But when something happens like that, teams obviously – seems like a lot, a lot of good veteran teams like Seattle, who obviously had some deep playoff runs, they realize that and they they – uh they're going to be very fortunate for what 
what what they've been given to them, and I think that's going to be a, a huge contributing factor in this game. I think they're going to hit it pretty hard. So. Yeah, yeah. There's some truth in there's some truth in what you're saying there, Josh. Because the, as soon as you count Seattle out, uh, that's when they, they they insinuate themselves back into the situation. So, wouldn't be surprised if they put a big effort in, and, and that's why you know they, they may put up a lot of points, and and uh, Carolina is going to have to match them. So that's why I'm taking the overs. Okay, the last game. Uh, Broncos. Now this, I had a hard time finding a uh, a line on this game. There weren't. There weren't a whole lot of lines. The only place I found is CG Technology. Uh, they have put up the Broncos by seven, and they made an over/under of thirty-nine and a half. And that's the only. So you know, there are four or five books with a lineup. It's seven. It's seven across the board. But they're the only ones that put an over/under up of thirty-nine and a half. Okay. Um, that's exactly what CBS Sports has too. They're not a an authority by any means, but uh, just putting that out there. Um, why, don't, why don't you go ahead and pick first, Chuck, since we've all picked yeah. teams one game first. Or maybe or maybe CBS was looking at the same thing I was looking at, too. Yeah. Anyway, um, Broncos and Steelers. I am – this is an interesting game because we, we've got a game between two teams that have a quarterback who, who don't really have the zip on their arms. And I don't know if many of you remember back to last year when the Colts came into Denver and uh, somehow – in the playoffs, somehow discovered that uh, the Peyton Manning couldn't throw the ball long, so they they covered all the short passes. They didn't worry about the long pass, and even when Peyton Manning did complete a short pass in that game, uh, the the uh, receiver was tackled immediately, and the Colts just uh, won it on defense. Now we know how good Denver's defense is. Pittsburgh defense is really not that bad either. Um, I am going to look for you know the Broncos probably to run the ball a little bit more. I don't think there's going to be enough points scored for either team to win by seven points. So I'm going to take the Steelers plus the seven points, and I am also going to say they're going to stay under that. It's going to, you know, this bad news is probably going to be kind of a boring game for everybody, uh, that last game on Sunday. But I'm going to go under, and I'm going to take the Steelers. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a weird thing to consider this not being a very – Watchable game, considering the you know the teams and the and the quarterbacks and whatnot, and it's so hard to pick this game. You know, Roethlisberger sounds like he's going to play. Antonio Brown is still questionable. Um, so you want you want to believe that line is considering both of those things, and it probably wouldn't. Um, maybe it would move if Antonio Brown didn't play. I think we discussed that a few weeks ago. But uh, as much as I want to. Uh, take Pittsburgh. I just don't so much uncertainty, like I said, with Antonio Brown. So I want to say if Antonio Brown plays, I'll take Pittsburgh. But if, but we're saying he's not going to play right now, so I'm going to take I'm going to take Denver. I think you know, I said last week that the Steelers were about the only offense that picked this defense apart. And I think this defense is going to remember that. And uh, you know, obviously a quarterback being a little bit bruised, that's going to hurt their passing game there too. I wonder, and maybe this is too soon, but I wonder since Peyton and Big Ben are both kind of limited, if they took maybe just a little bit of air out of the ball, if they would maybe maybe have better games. I don't know. Too soon? I guess you guys didn't laugh, so I guess it was uh, <laughs> um, Oh, there it is. There it was. Okay. All right. You know, you know. Just, um, I'm, so I'm going to take Denver, but that – 
I also think that is just too low of an over-under um, for the NFL. So I think that means we have no clean sweeps officially on anything. Uh, but, uh, Nick, what do you got? Uh, well, I'm going to go with Denver. Pittsburgh was healthy. If Ben Roethlisberger was 100%, and we knew Antonio Brown was going to play, I'd probably lean towards Pittsburgh. But, you know, a limited Ben Roethlisberger, and if he tweaks that shoulder, the backup Landry Jones is not very good there. So I, I, I think Denver, especially at home, I'll have to take him to, to cover the seven points. And, yeah, I do think it's going to be a low-scoring game, though. So I, I have to go under on this one. I could see easily a 14-10 to 10 type of game just because of the limitations of the quarterbacks. Okay. And I do feel like that 39 is like a great line for, you know, Pittsburgh and Baltimore in their primes with their good defenses. That's a great line for two good defenses. I think Baltimore, I think Pittsburgh has exposed this defense before, and I think Pittsburgh's defense is not nearly as good as the Denver defense. They're not certainly not like a top-five defense. So that's why I want to go with you over there. Um, well, Josh, here's, here's another on. interesting thing about this game. Um, and, and it doesn't affect uh, how anybody would pick it. But just uh, if you look at the, the four games for the weekend, Chiefs, Patriots, Packers, Cardinals, Seahawks, Panthers, every one of those teams has a quarterback that they have that has been with the team, the, has played with the team the entire season, started for them. And there's one game, the Steelers and the Broncos, they're the only two teams that have had a substitute quarterback this year start at least one game. I believe, uh, you know, the Broncos, of course, Osweiler. For the Steelers, it's uh, uh, Landry Jones. So uh, take that for what it's worth. I I don't know what it means, but it's going to be interesting, the fact that uh, here's two teams playing each other that have survived without their starting quarterback the entire year. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't remember who it was, but I was just in a group, in a room, full of people when that Steelers game was going on and um, somebody was like, uh, Landry was out on the field and somebody in our group just said, is that guy a punter? What, who is that? He's just, he does not even look like a, an NFL player. I mean, he's, oh, I guess boy. I don't necessarily agree or disagree with that statement, but uh, yeah, he, he certainly looks a little bit lost out there. Um, okay. Well, here's a final thought punter. for you, Josh, before I get okay, off. Um and that is, uh, I just, oh, you know, I, I said that the, the Broncos and Steelers game may be kind of boring because they're going to be under 39-and-a-half, and I guess I only have to look back at the Steelers and Bengals game last week, and they only scored 34 points, but that was one of the, one of the most riveting games ever. So, you know, it, it, it could be fun anyway, even if it's under. I wanted to, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. I, I just it reminded me as I was talking about punters I totally missed the Sunday John Ryan for the Seattle Seahawks um, picking up the botched uh, snap and trying to to run with it and he ended up jumping over a couple Minnesota defenders and I believe he when he hit the turf he broke his nose <laughs> did you guys yeah he see did that? a face did he did that? a face plant I I, <laughs> I saw the uh, the the highlight of it. Oh yeah, I'm I'm watching it right now. That was <laughs> the sound you just heard. Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, I think he still could have got the punch off too. Is a crazy thing, but anyway, I just thought that was pretty funny. So hopefully the we- the weather's warmer for him this week, so he doesn't have to face plant on hard hard astroturf anymore, or field turf, whatever it's called. So correct. Uh, Chuck, as always, thank you for joining us. Uh, you will be back next week. Uh, just just a couple games, but uh, we'll get them figured out. It should be good fun. Thanks, you guys.
maybe next week since we don't have left to talk about, we'll also pick the, the spread, the over, under, and a final score. You know, because okay. we're all keeping score at home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and you'll probably have to remind me that I said that. But anyway, thank you, Chuck, as always. And have a good week. Bud. Take care, guys. Nick, any closing thoughts? Uh, no, just looking forward to Divisional Week. Should be some great games this weekend. Enjoy, everybody. Um, and in case you are scoring at home, we had no clean sweeps on anything. So I don't know how you want to take that. <laughs> uh, that's just the, that's going to be how riveting this weekend of football is. I guess you want to we'll leave it at that. So, uh, Nick, as always, thank you very much for joining us and uh, me, uh, you, we, whatever. Thank you, and have and have a great weekend. Enjoy the divisional round. <laughs> not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.